know, in coffee, there's so many hard edged metal, technologically advanced devices that are, I mean, cool and fun to play with. But this is like, it's just so simplistic in its design. You know, one of the things I appreciate most about this is that you can, you watch it, you can see the the, the coffee passing through the filter and filling up. And so you've got this almost like, uh, you know, an anticipation. Heyo! I'm Kenneth Thomas, and this is Coffee 101, brought to you by Humble Coffee. Coffee 101 is the place that all the cool coffee people go to get their coffee knowledge on. And so, hey, if you're new to the show, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you haven't already listened to Season 1, which is in chronological order as we go through the life of the coffee bean. So Season 1 is what we call Seed to Shelf. And we're in the middle of season two, which is shelf to sip. We're currently going through different brewing methods, especially ones for you home brewers out there to make sure that you can make phenomenal coffee at home. Today, unfortunately, I am not joined in the studio by the lovely Katie. Uh, She is out today, so you just get me. And so that means, hey... We'll jump into the episode quicker. I got on the phone with my friend Taylor Love, um, who I've known for a few years and uh, is really involved in the coffee industry, and we'll get into that and all of the little places that he's got his uh, hands and his coffee interests in um, currently and has in the past. And uh, he's just a good guy um, who loves coffee, and um, so he loves a Chemex at home. So I wanted to get him on to just kind of geek out a little bit on Chemex. And so we go through kind of what his recipe is, what mine is, why we do different things, the history of the Chemex, um, really all that you need to know. So without further ado, here's my episode with Taylor Love. Taylor Love, good to have you on the show today. Thank you, Kenneth. Good to be here. I appreciate it. All right. So, is let's just right out of the gate. Is Chemex like your favorite way to make it at home, or is it like one of the tops, or what? It's the go-to weekend brew method. It's the one okay. where uh, we, you know, when we've got a little extra time in the morning, want to uh, really savor and enjoy the coffee. Absolutely, one hundred percent Chemex. Plus, uh, what I like most about it is the volume you know there are there are two coffee drinkers in the house uh we each want at least a good you know a good full cup so the chemical provides the uh the volume necessary to get us going on the weekends yeah no i think that that's a that's a great point you know when it comes to chemex um compared to some of the other pour over devices like uh your hardy v60 or kalita wave or all these others that are you know in the market right now um and um I'll, let me just give uh, let me give our 101ers just a quick and down and dirty background as far as chemex so you ready yep absolutely all right here we go so chemex was invented in 1941 there was this guy named peter dr peter schlumbaum and he actually moved to the u.s because uh, I think he was German. Is that right? Or do you think, remember? Yeah, no, I think he was a German guy. Yeah, because the patent laws were better for whatever reason here. And he had like 300 patents. He was just like one of these guys who just like, uh, um, honestly, kind of like Alan Adler um, with the AeroPress, who just invented and invented anything from like cocktail shakers to automobiles to, of course, the Chemex. And he wanted, he wanted to have a really good cup of coffee, but he wanted it to be like a thing of beauty as far as the vessel goes. Um, and so he took, um, I guess, his, his knowledge um, and basically for the carafe and, and for any one of who have not seen this, 
Um, it looks kind of like an hourglass, and there's a lot of engineering that goes into the way it looks and how sleek it is. And um, we'll get into some more details here um, with Taylor, but it's just one piece of glass, and the original has this wooden collar around it and like this rawhide tie. Um, and just makes it super cool because it looks kind of scientific, but it's really artsy. And it's artsy to the point that even like Museum of Modern Art um, has it on display in New York. And even in the year that it was uh, patented and came out, um, it was displayed as one of the best designed products of that year, which was 1943. Um, and so that's kind of the history of it in a nutshell. Thoughts? Well, I mean, so I'm sitting here brewing right now with my uh, 10 cup Chemex. Yes. And it's, you know, visually, it's it looks like something you'd see in like a Scandinavian design catalog or something, right? This, right. This beautiful shape, the, the, as you said, the wooden collar, the rawhide tie, it's just like this very aesthetically pleasing device. And, you know, in coffee, there's so many kind of hard-edged metal, very technologically advanced devices that are, I mean, cool and fun to play with. And I think yeah. we all probably have one somewhere, but this is like, it's just so simplistic in its design. Um, you know, one of the things I appreciate most about this is that you can, you watch it, you can see the, the, the coffee passing through the filter and filling up. And so you've got this, almost like uh you know an anticipation waiting for the you know waiting for it to to fill and and as i'm, I'm sitting here actually pouring pouring the water into the grounds and the you know there's this kind of cool dripping noise that i don't know if the speaker is picking up but it's just like this it's just audio visual experience yeah. Um, yeah. the anticipation builds for the the delicious coffee that i'm i wish i could share it with you because it's going to be really good <laughs> yeah, it would be. A, so what are you using today? So I'm using, uh, actually, it's a, a coffee from Veracruz, Mexico. Okay. Uh, I was down. Did you in, get this from Rudy? I would. So I was in, <laughs> uh, I was in Baja this past weekend uh -huh. on a, a panel of uh, producers and, uh, and roasters. And I so met, just an excuse for you to go down there. I got yeah, you. Go good, ahead. Good weekend in Baja. Um, but one of the producers is a, a guy from Veracruz. His name's Javier DiBardini. And Javier is um, based in Veracruz, constantly placing in the top one, two, three, four, five of the Cup of Excellence in Mexico. That's awesome. He's a top notch producer. Uh, what I'm drinking today is um, it's a blend of uh, Captura. Garnacia y Costa Rica from his finca. Oh man, I'm going to butcher this. I'll just say from Veracruz. Um, <laughs> this is his reserve. It's uh, his reserve that did, uh, I think he placed third last year in Cup of Excellence. Yeah. Um, what's fun and, you know, what I get to do in, in, in coffee in addition to brewing, but I get to go to these events and talk about coffee and meet these, these farmers. Yeah. And we talk a lot about what they're growing, how they're growing it, um, you know, and something Kenneth we were discussing before we got on on the online was, you know, how how important the producer's work is into producing a great cup of coffee, and you know, I think you throughout fifty percent is producing, thirty percent maybe is roasting, twenty percent is brewing. Could yeah. switch, you know, brewing and roasting. And, you know, when you've got something like a Chemex, you can really highlight and accentuate these amazing qualities and flavors and notes that, you know, a producer like Javier is, you know, he's, he, his farm is at an elevation where it takes him nine months to mm. grow these, these beans. And it's, uh, I think he's got 12 hectares. So it's a really small operation. Yeah. Growing this amazing coffee. You know, like nine months to, you know, to how long it takes for a, a pregnancy to last, you know, and it's kind of his baby. Well, but but so that's a good point. Um, so and this is getting off a little bit, but it's worth it is, you know, what what we see 
in the coffee industry is that one factor, and if people go back and listen to season one in Coffee 101, uh, as far as like ultimately what we would call a better tasting cup of coffee, is the slower that maturity is, then the more like the higher the quality ultimately of the coffee, just inevitably, you know, if you held everything else equal. Yeah. So nine months is, is, you know, it's, is great. Um, and you know, I want to, you were talking about like the clarity, uh, with the Chemex. Uh, one thing I wanted to hit on was the paper itself. And so the paper itself, um, a couple of things from a, uh, just from an engineering or a design standpoint, the, the paper is just a, we'll say just a square sheet of paper that is folded into a fourth. And so then what you do is, and it, and it comes to you like that because um, default, Chemex has its own filters. They're a little thicker than the filters that you would see for uh, some of the other pour overs. And one thing that I really like as far as from a design standpoint is when you open up that filter, you're going to have three, three sides of the fold is what I'll call it on one side yep. and one side on the other. And, you know, um, you know, Dr. Schlumbon, he like he knew like what that angle would need to be for him to have a square filter that he could fold out and and optimally it sit correctly into a conical vessel correct which i think is super cool and a lot of people don't talk about another subtle thing um if you've ever played with a chemex any is um you put the side that has the three folds on the side where your air goes in and out and where ultimately that's where you're pouring from because that thickness is not going to collapse onto where your air is trying to get out, which would then stall your brew. It not only stalls it, and it, I'm sure you've done this maybe only once, maybe twice. <laughs> maybe once. <laughs> Every once in a while, if you you know you set the the filter in and you don't get it in that that correct alignment, you get these air bubbles coming out, and it's it's squirting little little bubbles of, of brewed coffee all over the place. And it's just, you know, it's just this mistake that, you know, it, it, it takes a little bit. I mean, for such a simple device, there are, a, you know, a couple things that, you know, it's like everything you practice, you, you figure out how to seed it in. And, you know, of course, like um, most, most pour over brewed methods, you, you want to pre pre wet the, the filter to, you know, not only to you know, take out any of the fibers and get those through, but, also, yeah. it just helps it sit sit in the the cone a little bit better and a little bit more snugly. So you have this, you know, really tight tight space around the the rim of the the Chemex to to let the the ground sit. Then you start to pour your water in. Um, as I'm brewing mine, one of the things I I like to do is give it a little stir while it's in uh, while it's brewing, just to kind of agitate the grounds. Yeah. Make sure there's some um, action in there well i tell you so while you're thinking on that why don't you go ahead and give me and our 101ers kind of tailors this is how you make chemex for a crowd like from sure. grams to ratios to to give me give me your thing sure so i like and you should know this about me is i like coffee and i drink <laughs> coffee. yes you do and you can drink more caffeine than most people I have ever met in my life. But yes, uh, go ahead. Function of the function of the job. But um, so I my I, I like to brew uh, with the 10, 10 cup Chemex, and my ratio is pretty pretty easy. I use uh, fifty grams uh, of coffee. I've got a, a Baratta. Um, can't remember it's the is Encore. It which one is it? No, I've got the Virtuoso, Brazza Virtuoso. Okay. Um, but I weigh it out on my Hario scale and a little, you know, glass thing. 
put the 50 grams in, grind it through. I do more of a coarse ground setting. Um, Which is what Chemex recommends, uh, and we can get into that and the reasons for that in a second. But yes, go ahead. So you, you know, you put the you put the grounds in. It, you don't have to necessarily place them in in any gentle or specific way. Um, and then I, I usually so for my 50 grams of coffee, I try to do about 800 grams of of water. Yeah. Um, I'm using uh, a brim kettle, which I recently acquired, and I really like it. Um, yeah. You can set the temperature. To really anything I, I i live at sea level uh so it boils pretty quickly i like to start brewing at about 206 205 uh okay. I think that keeps the coffee you know it helps to strip everything out very nicely well and let me say but this real quick and don't lose your spot yeah. is a lot of times uh i know taylor and his coffees are going to tend to be a little lighter roast most of the time and so a higher temp like he said is going to pull um, what we call a little more out especially on the back end uh, when you talk about body and things like that um, to really balance out the cup so yeah go ahead so um and then you do the you know the you have your water boiling you have your filter uh filled with the grounds pre-soaked as we said earlier and then you pour and, and you take you take your time and that's the that's the reason why the the chemex is the the weekend treat because it takes me about four good four minutes to, yeah. to brew it um you know you, you do a little pre-infusion uh 30 seconds get everything nice and wet let the you know some of the oxygen come out of the grounds and then you just begin to pour, uh, you know, and you do the slow circle around, getting it in the outsides, into the middle. Uh, I'm not one of those folks who wants to do like a fun pattern in my pour. I, you know, I'm yeah. getting everything wet and soaking it. Yeah. And then you let it drain. You let it brew, and then you fill it up with water and brew. And then, you know, on the scale, when I get to about 800, you know, we'll see see where we are. Um, and then you let it sit for a couple sec seconds to get all of the the last drops out um and i'm sure you've had conversations with other guests on brewing science and mm -hmm. uh you know what what comes early in the brew what comes later but you want to you know ultimately make sure that you you don't shortchange the coffee by stopping the brew too soon or or, or beginning it too early because you want to get the full the full uh effect of of your brew yeah um, and well, so that's, that's where we are. That's awesome. And, and I'll give everybody um, my go-to, and I'll change it a little bit in that what Taylor was talking about will, what I call feed at least a couple of people. So, you know, to give at least a couple of people a cup of coffee, um, mine would be a smaller brew, um, you know, which would be more for individual. But I think a Chemex is a fantastic uh, brewing device if you have two or three people kind of milling around looking for a good cup of coffee. A um, couple of points I was thinking about, you know, for a one-on-oneers out there, I'd say don't be scared of that, you know, finishing time of say around four minutes as opposed to what you're used to with other pour-overs, which might be two minutes, two and a half minutes, something like that, because of a couple of things. One, the filter that you use for the Chemex is a lot thicker, and so you cannot use the same grind size that you can for those others, and because it's going to stall, and and then you're going to have issues, um, and so when you use that coarser grind, your extraction is a little slower, and so that's where you really get that longer, um, you know, time. Um, so that's kind of the, you know behind that the, the the chemistry and the physics of uh of brewing coffee is fascinating when you you start to get into the you know grind size and time and you know heat of the water and passing everything through and you know for a chemex specifically it, it lends you know there's some some flexibility uh, in the time because yeah. uh as you said the nature of the the thickness of the filter the grind size so you aren't you know because you can elongate your brewing time you have you know a 
seconds on either side. If you, you know, we all have lives and, and, you know, maybe the dog runs in and, you know, drops something on your foot or, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever happens in life when you, you'd rather be focusing on brewing the coffee, but, you know, you have a little bit of wiggle room right. um, as opposed to some other, other devices, or even, you know, if you're pulling a, a shot on your espresso machine, you have to be really focused. Right. Um, and that's why I like the Chemex. It gives you, uh, call it life flexibility in your brewing. Yes. Stick with us. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and this is Coffee 101. Okay, so let's say you do have a Chemex at home, and you are looking for that perfect cup of coffee because you have friends coming over, and they know a little bit about coffee, and they are looking for you to deliver on their coffee game. I would recommend the Breakaway from Umble Coffee. It's a single origin from Ethiopia, and the advantage that you will get in doing a pour-over with a Chemex is it's probably almost always going to extract a little more. So because the breakaway is a lighter roast for Umble Coffee, that extra little bit of extraction is going to help with balancing out and giving you a little more body on the back end of your cup. So that's what I would recommend, the breakaway from Humble Coffee. You can get it by clicking on the link for Humble Coffee in the show notes, or you can go to humblecoffee.com. That's U-M-B-L-E coffee.com. And you can impress your friends. How cool is that? All right, let's get back to the show with Taylor Love. Uh, for my Chemex, um, I, I usually do, we'll say about a 1 to 16 coffee to water ratio. And I'm going to start with uh, probably about 30 grams, which is less uh, than what Taylor's talking about, and a medium coarse grind. So we're going a little coarser than usual. And um, for my water, whatever that 1 to 16 is, um, and I would have to calculate it. I'm thinking it's somewhere close to 500, um, but uh, I bring that to a to a boil and then let it cool trying to get it closer to that 205 uh, again because a lot of times I'm using a lighter roast but if you're using a darker roast I'd say you may want to get it to like 200 or something like that and while you're waiting on stuff like that go ahead and pre-wet your filter you know and we've said on the show before you're really doing that for three reasons one to get the theoretically get the paper taste out um, and you're seeding your filter, um, which Taylor said a second ago, and you're preheating your vessel so that you don't lose some of your brewing temperature um, when you start. And then once you get that water out, you just pour it out. Um, and then I put my grinds in, start my timer. I usually, for this, do about 60 grams of a pour, so double whatever the... Um, coffee is and that's for my bloom and I leave that about 30-45 seconds if I want to have a little more like what I call uh for body on the back end I may leave that a little longer like 45 seconds and then ultimately over time I'm pouring the rest of that water uh, to try to end about say three to four minutes um, maybe closer to four Um, and then that's really about it that's that's what I do I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of it. So your, your numbers and my, our ratios are about the same, about a 16 to one. Um, And that's the beauty of this, this device is that you, you know, you can play with the, this ratio and and still get an amazing cup of coffee, depending on the roast level. Uh, You can do a little bit lighter and, you know, really pull out some of that bright, um, you know, those bright kind of front end flavors on uh, lighter roasted coffees. If you, as you said, want to go, you know, if dark roasts are your thing and you want to use a Chemex, I think it's still a very good, good brewing method. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, maybe condensing that or elongating it depending on your, your, your preference. But what's nice about this a couple things is that it's so easy to use. It's so easy to clean that yeah. you can just, 
you know, you can boil water all day long and just play with it. And when I first got mine, I don't know, it was probably say 10, 10, 11 years ago, something like that. It was, that was it. It was every day just playing around with the ratio, playing around with different coffees. Um, you know, right now I'm drinking a, a really amazing coffee from Mexico, which is an origin that a lot of people haven't explored. Um, but if you, you know, if Colombia is your thing and you want to really just kind of highlight the, the acidity, the caramels, the, the wonderful flavors of a, a washed Colombian, I mean, the clarity that comes out in the Chemex is, is so pronounced. You really dig into those uh, those kind of traditional flavors that you get from a, a washed Colombian. If you're into Sumatran coffee and you want that earthy richness, I think you know, Chemex really plays well in that too because the the extraction is not, it's hard to over extract uh, a Chemex so you won't get those bitters and some of the kind of the negative perceptions that you might get from, uh, you know, a Southern Asian coffee that, you know, the, the processing methods kind of lend themselves to over extraction or can be, if it's over extracted, you get, um, it's just, you know, you, you miss the mark. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a lot of wiggle room in, in using a Chemex, which, you know, for folks at home who aren't coffee professionals who are just like coffee and want to enjoy coffee, it's, I would say, the go-to device, yeah. uh, particularly if you've got a couple people in the house who, um, you know, want to sit and appreciate a nice cup of coffee. Yeah, no. And, you know, the um, another thing I was thinking about was, you have to realize, um, and one on oneers, you have to realize too that like how revolutionary conceptually this was in the time. Because when you look at the early 1900s all the way through 1950s and, and a little more, most of coffee was done by a percolator, which Taylor's talking about over-extracted. Percolator is a classic example of how you can over-extract coffee. And so um, I would say, to her credit, the only front-runner um, as far as, like, inventor um, before we got to the Chemex was um, uh, Emily Augusta Melita Bentz. We just know her as Melita Bentz, mostly. Um, and she came up with a pour over style brewer basically in 1908. So I would say it's probably the OG um, historically. Uh, and so you'll still see them around some and they are a little different. But then you have a big gap until you get to the Chemex, um, which we said was what, 1943 or 43, something like that. Yeah. Um, and then you have an even bigger gap until you get to um, like. Let's see, Hario V60 was in the 1950s, but then Kalita Wave, Flat Bottom Brewer, wasn't uh, created until like 2010, um, which is kind of crazy. Um, and so that's kind of the, the progression. Um, and another random thing I was thinking about that I've seen people do is if you do have issues with um, where it pours out, the filter like sloughing down in there and you having issues with it like you know spewing coffee out or whatever onto your counter um some people will do like they'll stick a chopstick or something in there just something that will um just kind of keep it open until they finish their brew but i have found a lot of times if you just get if you just put that three the three side part of the filter on that side you at least for me, that usually does it. But then, you know, the nice, what's so cool about the the design and engineering is this, you know, in the, the top part of the carafe, there's this spout, right? And that's, the design is to, specific for that, that fold. And so, you, you know, once you get that, and you have to play around and, you know, most things in life, you make a couple of mistakes and you learn from them and, you know, you make a mess of your counter once or maybe twice if or seven times if you're me but yeah you go know. ahead um but that you know that's it and then you know you figure it out and you know a week later you've got it down and you're just uh you're making really really good and i think again it's that that clarity of the cup um you know 
getting back to what we were talking about earlier, the, you know, appreciating the work of the producer and the roaster and the time and care that they've put into allowing you to brew this amazing coffee at home. Right. Um, you know, and you can, you know, and you can go to really good cafes around the country. Um, not as many people do Chemexes in cafes, although some some do. Um, more, you know, more of them will be the Melita or, or Hario V60 type pour overs because it's more of a single serving, yeah, uh, single serving method. But you know, if you find somebody who who serves one, you know, watch them, learn from them. Uh, you know, they will, the baristas will be doing an amazing job, uh, you know, doing the kind of things that we were talking about with the bloom and the timing and, you know, the agitation to, you know, get that full extraction. Yeah. So when it gets to the cup, you know, you're, you're getting these, you know, the, the 50% producers work, the 30% and, you know, Kenneth, you're a roaster. So maybe you want to maybe say roasters are like 40%, but you know, no, no I don't want to give us too much credit. No, it's just turning something from green to brown. Any monkey can do that. <laughs> it's um, more complicated than that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's uh, no, it's uh, it's a uh, you know, but that's it. You know, the the brew method is, you know, there's this continuum in coffee uh, where you know you can't have one without the other. Yeah, and you cannot brew a really good cup of coffee on a Chemex which is designed to brew a really good cup of coffee without the work of the roaster, without the work of the producer. And that's, um, that's something that, you know, as you, you go forward and in your life, wherever you happen to be and want to drink coffee, you know, you always keep that in the back of your mind because there's a tremendous amount of effort that goes into it. And even brewing it at home, it takes a lot of work. You know, you have to, you have to learn how to do it and practice. Um, you know, and this this coffee that I have been enjoying while we're talking from from Veracruz, Mexico is amazing. It's you know chocolatey, velvety, yeah. got really nice red fruits. Um, you know, we won't get into the flavor wheel, but it's got you know we're at the outer edges of the flavor wheel here on this one. Yeah, no, that's good. So the you know one thing um, I'll say, and we've said on the show before, is um, having an awareness of like the people who have been part of whatever that bean is to get it to you, you know, depending on the quality that you are going for um, and, and, and what you know of your roaster and or where they source their beans, um, they have done hopefully the absolute best they can with that bean to get it to your point in the story. And then it is your job, you know, as the home brewer or the barista behind the bar or whatever, um, to then kind of honor and respect, I think, um, continuing that. Not to pressure somebody, but um, but I think, you know, there's so many resources out there, you know, to help people make sure that they can get a really good cup. Uh, agreed. Agreed. And I think the, um, you know, that that's it. There's, you know, there should never be pressure in brewing your own cup of coffee. It, it right. should be coming from a source of enjoyment. And yeah, it should be relaxing. And, yeah. Yeah. Appreciating uh, what you have. But, you know, you look, if you were to walk into a, you know, store that sells Chemexes and you had no idea what you're looking at, it's an intimidating Booking yeah. device because you think, well, how in the heck am I going to brew coffee using this thing? And then you, yeah. you, know, you take a minute to learn. You listen to Coffee One Hundred and One podcast, which is full of wonderful, great information. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and, and then I uh, know, and, and you then learn a good. little. Yeah, well, then, then you know, and then you know, in a couple of days, you're an expert, and they'll be the next guest. Yeah. Well, um, all right. So three things, uh, and then I want to shift gears and see what you're up to in life. Uh, I wanted to make sure and say. If people are looking at the Chemex, a lot of people ask, what's that dimple at the bottom of the Chemex? And what that is, is engineering-wise, they would have originally said that that's where, it, like what, what they would call half full, um, would be on the actual Chemex itself. Um, second thing 
is there's also a Chemex that has a glass handle instead of that wooden collar. Um, the wooden collar is a little more classic and does require a little more work when you're talking about washing and stuff like that, but it holds up better long term because that glass handle uh, does tend to break, it, you know, if something's going to break on the Chemex. And then the final thing I was thinking was we have thought about at our headquarters, at Umbel's headquarters, we've thought about doing, and this is really what you started off with talking about is, you know, Chemex you can make for a crew. You know, we've thought about um, having a Chemex as an offering that would what I call be for the table. You know, so it wouldn't be a massive amount of coffee for everybody, but if you had two, three, four people around the table and they wanted to try a cool coffee, um, then I think that would be a good way to do it. It's a, you know, it's a fun thing to do if you're out for brunch. You know, I think that's a great place for, you know, for a cafe or a restaurateur to, to experiment with a, you know, a different type of coffee service. Um, you know, to have, as you said, a, you know, it's, it's not a big cup, but you could do, you could get a couple eight ounce um, cups of coffee out of the the large the large Chemex, and you know, provide your your customer with something different. Um, yeah. You know, and that's the thing in, in coffee that we're starting to see a lot of is just differentiation in brewing and delivery. Um, you know how 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 coffee is perceived by the public. I think, you know, we're, if you want to call us third wave, fourth wave, uh, fifth wave, whatever, whatever wave we happen to be in at the moment, um, you know, the public and the con consumers understanding of coffee is, is grown by leaps and bounds, even yeah. probably since, you know, you and I, you know, we haven't been in coffee forever, but um, been in it long enough to see, see some changes. Yeah along the way and in and, and, you know in the understanding that it's possible to brew a really good cup of coffee at home right. um you know and i think it's funny you know you're talking about the filters um i have this box of filters that i stocked up on during the pandemic uh and it was hard to get chemex filters during the pandemic yeah you know like like everything people were, were experimenting at home and i think that there's been this wonderful Kind of understanding and knowledge that people have developed on their own uh, about how you might enjoy that that amazing coffee that you you get from Humble or or Lustre or any of these other great uh, roasters, but you know you want that coffee shop experience. Well, how do you do it? Um, you're not going to brew it necessarily on your your hardware store coffee pot. Yeah, um, you invest in a Chemex, you'll invest in a kettle, you'll invest in a scale, and then you're, you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I was, I was one of those people back in the day who just, I did not think that you could make a coffee shop quality cup of coffee at home. Um, but you know, of course now I'm way deep on the other side of, you know, of course you can. Um, right. and, uh, hopefully we're trying to, you know, move a lot of, lot more people to that as well um but tell me so okay so i know that you roasted for a while and then you did something in columbia tell us about that and then tell us about what what your life is in coffee these days sure so you know back in the day i owned a roasting company uh in Colorado, and we it's called Roasted. Uh, <laughs> it's original. It's yeah, original. It's, yeah, it's original. It's <laughs> very straightforward and to the point, too. Yes. Um, and, you know, in that, uh, a couple of things happened. One, uh, and this is how we, you know, ultimately got to know each other, but I, I started competing, yeah. uh, competing in roasting competitions. And, um, did okay a couple times, but you know, learned that judging might be a more of a place for me. Uh, I love competing and I love roasting, but I, I also really like the the judging side of it. And so I got to be uh, move my way up um, through the the ranks, so to speak, uh, in the U.S. Coffee Championships. And now, uh, along with my partner Tyler Zeiss, um, 
he and I are the co-head judges for the U.S. Coffee Championships, and that's fun. I mean, I, you know, I've had an opportunity to travel all over the country and meet super cool roasters. You know, you know, we that's how we got to know each other, and yeah, um, you know, that's uh, that's unfortunately uh, a non-paying side hustle. But it's still a lot of fun and a, a way to stay very connected in in coffee. Um, but after I, I, I unwound the roasting business, I started working uh, for a producer. Uh, we were down in in Medellin, Colombia. Uh, we had farms about two hours outside of there uh, in a little community called Salgar. And uh, my role was working on the basically everything post-production, uh, quality control in the roasting lab there, uh, making sure that we were, were sending out, you know, what we thought was appropriately scored coffee, um, packing it into containers and, you know, sending essentially a, a postcard out from the farms to uh, our roasting partners around the world. And, and that was tremendously fun and a, a really great experience and opportunity to learn that side of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier that, you know, the supply chain and how the coffee gets from the farm to the cup into the Chemex is, uh, you know, it's a long journey and something that we sometimes like months, like people don't realize like how long that process is. Yeah. And, and it's, it's something to take for granted when you, it's so easy to walk into your, your grocery store or your, your coffee shop and just grab a bag off the shelf. You look at it and you say, oh, you know. You know, whatever medium roast, and uh, you know, half the time you don't really understand what's written on the bag. But yeah, sure, this looks good. I'll take it home, and you know, you brew it up, and it's good. It's the uh, you know the morning the morning juice. Um, and chances are, if it's expensive, or what they would call expensive at the grocery store, uh, it was probably hand picked. Like literal beans were, or cherries were hand picked. Yeah. And, and we're just like we're just like. Uh, throwing it in the grinder the seven minutes before we got to get in the car and get in traffic. Yes. It's uh, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a disconnect, I think a little bit on the, the labor, uh, you know, working in Colombia specifically uh, just the nature of coffee production there, everything is handpicked. Uh, yeah. It would be not only very difficult, but extremely dangerous to run any kind of mechanized uh, picking device up and down these, you know, four percent yeah. grade hills so um you know the environment requires that it's hand-picked and um you know one of the challenges that we're facing and it's a project that i'm working on now is you know how do you um encourage the, the coffee plants to to be more productive and how do you encourage flowering to be more uniform so uh the coffee's ripening at the same time so you uh, you, you just go really and talk to it right you just talk to the plant and say look produce a little more on this side and wait for that guy over there yeah well there's that and then there's science, uh, <laughs> there's science yeah. um, one or the other or both yeah well and, and so you know what i'm working on now i um my business partner and i uh, we started a company called husky ag uh-huh. and we're developing a plant biostimulant that's derived from the byproducts of coffee production. So we take the mucilage, the cascara, the pulp, uh, essentially run it through um, a centrifuge and, and condense it down into a, a very thick liquid that then has uh, the base for uh, more or less a superfood for plants. Uh, we reapply it back onto coffee uh, we're working on corn and cacao, cotton. Got some tests uh, up here in California on tomatoes and, and corn. But really trying to help help the plants better absorb their nutrients. Work on you know one of our our, our ultimate goals is if we could if we could encourage a coffee plant to flower in a uniform way, that would save the producers to farmers hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and tens of thousands of dollars in labor yeah. because they could only, you know, the, their labor force would only have to make one pass right? instead of going back day after day, week after week, um, you know, make the price go down, make more, much more efficient. Well, you know, that would help. And then, and we've talked about, 
in some other episodes and I'll at least put a link to the one um, I think it was in season one called engineering a better cup um, with Bill wrist in part yes with UC Davis um, and we talked about and this is kind of also what you're getting into is there's potentially so much waste uh, when you're looking at the mucilage and some of the other byproducts of coffee production. And if you can figure out ways, whether it's what y'all are doing or what um, some of the things he has thought of, or some folks there at UC Davis have thought about or anybody um, to, to use those byproducts, um, you know, in Texas A&M is also looking at some of that, um, then that means more money back um to the farmers and to the farms and you know that helps across the board you know it's it's twofold there's that opportunity for additional income whether you know you're paying a couple extra cents to take the the waste off the the producer's hands or buying it at the at the wet mill right so there's there are additional income opportunities we think the bigger, maybe more interesting opportunity is just the, the environmental impact of removing that waste. Yeah. That is, you know, typically dumped, left on the side of the road, taken to a field to rot. Um, you know, there there's significant. Which uh, am maybe, I right? Does that produce? Is it like methane gas or something? It can uh, ethanol. Um, you know, it's the the bricks level. Uh, the sugar content in coffee cherries is really high, so it ferments very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, the minute you know you get a pile of fermenty waste, it starts leaching into the ground. It gets into the groundwater, gets into the river systems, and then you've got this just you know pollutant mm. that could be used for something much more beneficial. Um, you know, what we're working on is a way to take that waste, create a circular economy by creating something that's practical and usable, putting it back into the fields. Um, there's a carbon carbon discussion around that and how do you, you know, put these this carbon element back into the ground. You know, something we're still scratching the surface of because I yeah. think that's uh, uh, a, a big question mark, but if there's an opportunity to look at, um, you know, how do you sequester carbon from coffee farming, uh, you know, taking the waste and using it into a more effective uh, product is one way to do it. Um, the other thing that we're, we're working on in, in our our work is, how you know, re- reducing the, the use of chemical fertilizers. If yeah. we can, you know, that's a huge, and that's one of the, probably the single most that in climate change the coffee farmer faces right now is the cost of fertilizer yeah Uh, they are you know barely making ends meet now and then you have a 200 percent increase in you know basic nitrogen uh the npks of the you know coffee farming world it's gone up exponentially so uh we are hoping to reduce the, the the volume of chemical fertilizers used the overuse of it. And that's, um, that's the work we're doing. Uh, we're working in Columbia right now. Actually, you mentioned UC Davis. We've, uh, our research partners up there as well. Um, yep. his name's Dr. Patrick Brown and he's like the worldwide global extra expert in biostimulant research. So, uh, he's a guy to have on the team. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah. you know, one thing I was thinking about, and then I'll let you go is, uh, there's quite a bit of nitrogen in uh, chaff, which is a byproduct of the roasting process. Um, and I don't know, it might still be just as much or more to actually figure out how to get that back to origin for use as part of the fertilizer and take some of that nitrogen burden off of what you got to buy. But I don't know. Just some random thing to think about. Well, you know, I think it's something that could be used, you know, rather than shipping it back down, it's something that you could take out to, you know, the, most of us don't live smack dab in the middle of the city. There are farms or urban farms. Yeah, uh, yeah, we give ours to farmers for compost. 
Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a great way to, to not only get rid of something that we're going to throw away anyway. Yeah. Um, keeps it out of the landfill, right. keeps it out of the, the water, the air, and it's, you know, usable. And yeah. that's, uh, I think how, you know, in coffee, everybody's looking for a, a a way to make it a little better, a little better for the farmers, a little better for the consumers, a little better for the roasters, for their neighbors. Uh, and that's one idea we're exploring. There are lots of cool, cool, smart people doing really interesting things. You mentioned uh, Davis and AM, like smart people coming up with interesting solutions uh, yeah. for byproducts, for fertilization, um, you know, genetic research, understanding, you know, what what coffee might grow better, what coffee might be more disease resistant. I mean, we could probably talk for hours about this. But, uh, <laughs> we could. It's fun. But, it's fun to think about too. But but we will let our we'll let our one oh oneers go and uh they at least know some of the things, the crazy things we think about for the coffee that, you know, ultimately ends up in their Chemex. Yes. Which uh and that's it. You know, there's a it's a fun it's a fun device. It's a fun brew method. Um, it's, it looks cool if you've got glass cabinets and you've got that oh, yeah. in the kitchen. It looks nice on the shelf. So it's uh, you know it's uh, I'd, I'd recommend it. We're not we're not sponsored by Chemex by any no. stretch, but if if you if you want to get something cool, I'd go out and grab one. That's right. Well, listen, pleasure having you on today, Taylor. Thank you, Kenneth. It's always, always good to see you. Okay, 101ers, now you have leveled up your Chemex game. So I want you to go out into the world and brew Chemex like you've never done it before. And if you haven't already, leave us a rating. We would love uh, even more so for you even past the little stars to just kind of jot something down, a little comment. Um, you know, most of the time makes us smile and um we love reading them and if you have any suggestions for the show then just leave them in the rating there in the comment section we'd love to hear from you uh you can also catch us a lot of times on dm uh through instagram instagram's probably our major social media outlet through humble coffee so just look up humble coffee uh, but we also have facebook and tiktok and youtube So all of those are great areas. And I would suggest following that stuff anyway because we do lots of really cool different things on there that are also fun and entertaining, but also some coffee education that's different than what we do on Coffee 101. So if you want to geek out with us, we would love to have you on any of those venues. Until next time, I'm Kenneth Thomas, and this was Coffee 101. Coffee 101.